0: Welcome, everybody, to the Dreamers Podcast. I'm your host, Super Joe Pardo, and this is actually the second or third time that I'm doing this now. Uh, <laughs> this is episode 238. I'm, it's kind of late right now. It's almost 10 o'clock uh, so for me to be doing this. So Matt, uh, unfortunately, is probably sleeping right now. He should be sleeping. If he's not, Uh guy doesn't get enough sleep as it is. Ava is sleeping, so she's not able to join me either. Uh, but we're we're here. We're uh, we're having a good time, and and now that my sound works, because the sound didn't work the first time. Uh, okay. So this week after the jump, I have the awesome Victor Yako on my show. I did an interview with him like a couple months ago. He's an author speaker and research director. So stay tuned. Uh, if you're listening, you know, if you're listening on Facebook live, that's awesome. Uh, but the interview will come out tomorrow on Tuesday, uh, the 12th, July 12th. That is. For for the interview with Victor Yako. Also, you can watch this on YouTube at slash tube. Uh, this episode is brought to you by Movie Mail. It's the awesome motivational mail community where you write up a letter, uh, stuff stuff into a, you know, inspirational stuff into a uh, standard envelope and send it off to Movie Mail. Then Movie Mail takes that letter and sends it off to another Movie Mail. Uh, member and you don't know who they're who's gonna get it they don't know what they're gonna get or who's who their letter is going to go to and that's what we're basically trying to build is a analog Twitter for motivational messages and we all know that given uh, all the negativity that has happened in the recent um, recently having motivational and inspirational letters come right to you is a a really awesome uh, service that we we provide over at movimail.com. That's M O V Y mail.com. Uh, so, I got it. Before I get started, I got to give uh, a shout out to my man Adam. He hasn't been on the show yet, but he will be. Uh, we did an interview like a month or two ago. Uh, and let me put it closer so that you could see it on Facebook Live. Uh, he was just sending me a thank you card uh for sending for donating uh legos to his organization so dot you can go check that out uh he's really awesome he he basically brings legos to um ha- like halfway houses and to places where mothers can play uh with legos with their with their children um, or rehab centers, stuff like that. I'm not sure of all the details, but the interview will be out in like a month or so, and you should go check out Adam Brick- adambrick guy. dot com for more uh, for more details on that. Uh, I got to give a shout out to. My girl Kim Trumbo, who came out with her second book, Allie the Accepting Alligator, uh, the follow up to uh, George the Generous Giraffe. And it's it's a wonderful book. I'm happy to support her. Wrote a r- nice little review for her on Amazon. So go check it out on Amazon. Just type in uh, Allie or just type in Kim Trumbo or if not, uh, Allie the Accepting Alligator into Amazon. And uh, help help support an awesome person with a huge heart. Uh, you know, if you haven't listened to the episode with Kim Trumbo, go check it out. Um, just go to superjoeparter.com and, and click on the little magnifying glass in the top right and type in Kim. Um, it should just come up under Kim. You shouldn't even have to type in Trumbo. Oh, man. Okay, so uh, what I, you know there's a topic that I wanted to get to. I was hoping Matt was going to be here to talk about it. I probably could wait, but I I gotta, um, if you've been following me on Facebook live, I have been doing a ton of videos, uh, of of us playing this thing called HTC Vive, where it's it's uh, virtual reality and and it's in the home and it's amazing, it's incredible, it's magical, it's like the best experience that you could bring, like you could have at say like a Disney World, and you're bringing it into the home for like a minimal amount of money. And while there's tons of technology, and it's it's in, if you know anybody that has one, uh, I I would. Definitely suggest making a trip to their house uh, to go to go play it, but I, I don't want to talk about that so much as I want to talk about the idea that the old way of doing things is actually the foundation for the new way and And I want to uh, kind of equate that to the the HTC vive VR virtual reality experience. With, with virtual reality, um, you know, there's a lot of new technologies. Things are constantly evolving and, and all that. And, and if you've done virtual reality before, you, know, you, you might have a benchmark in your mind of what, it, what the experience would be like. But this is not like that experience and And specifically, what I want to talk about is the technology as far as the infrared sensors that go into making it happen so so like we have cameras and we have monitors and we have uh you know cell phones and they they're awesome and they they do incredible things um what They all kind of built upon older things that that have existed in the past. Like, we're we're constantly evolving that technology. But specifically, one of the things that makes the HTC Vive amazing is that you can actually move around in any direction in your room. And you're moving around in the experience. So why that's amazing is because the technology that enables you to do that is infrared technology, the same infrared technology that we've had in remotes for decades and decades, the same infrared technology that is in, um, that that's, oh man, that's, this is why I like having Matt here. Cause he helps fill in the gaps of the, of the thought train, <laughs> um, the same infrared technology that like made the light gun possible you know with 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 duck hunt on the the original nintendo and it's like 30 years you know okay getting close to 30 years later and here we are we're, with something that can track our our movements inside of a room and and portray it to us in a first person aspect which makes it so amazing so my point with it, it, all this is is that the old ways and the old Stuff that we use is just the foundation for, for the new things that we enjoy today. And and to relate that to business, if you're building upon something, say it's like a new management system, say like an inventory management system, it, isn't, it doesn't necessarily have to be 100% different to be effective. There's, you know, <coughs> excuse me. <clears throat> I'm still getting over this this uh, cough that I've been been wrangling with. If you have the, you know, the procedures and all, and you're trying to incorporate that into the new, like a new system, a new way of doing it, um, you have to start with what was already in existence, the way that you were doing it before. You know, just because you add. Technology or computers to the situation doesn't mean that you're necessarily making it a, you know, 110% different. You might be changing the way you're going about it, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to um, completely revolutionize everything to make it better. You just need to, to build upon what the foundation of the old way of doing things is. So maybe what you were doing with paper and pencil is now you're, um, bringing that into a computer now, that doesn't necessarily mean that just because it's in a computer makes it automatically better. That's not no, d- definitely not. It needs to be better in a lot of ways where how we interact, how the user you know interfaces, how is it easy or is it complicate complicated? Now it might be complicated to some people because they maybe they aren't used to using computers for for certain tasks or you know or now like from before, <coughs> but. The point that I'm trying to make is that you can you can expand upon what was, say, with paper to moving to a computer in such a way where you can go in steps. It doesn't have to be all or nothing to be great. It just needs to be better and if you explain it in a way that makes sense to the people that are going to be using it because inevitably they're probably not going to like it up front because it's different you know people don't like change change means they have to learn something new that means they have to evolve themselves that means they have to think outside of what they thought was the norm and it's very difficult for people to 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 fit into that like fitting the the circle into the the or the square into the round peg like it doesn't it or the square peg into the round hole there you go you know it, it isn't always easy for people to to adjust to that so it's it's definitely um it's definitely tough but i i you know if you build upon and you show people the path of going like okay well this is how we used to do things and now we're 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 going down a path that makes it easier for everybody that's where that's that's what we're trying to get to. And and that's why I just wanted to like I love <laughs> the I gotta tell you, the the vibe hasn't been off. Today's the first day that nobody has come over or and nobody has been playing the vibe since Wednesday. Every single day somebody has been here or somebody's been playing it. So it's incredible that something uh like this could be brought into the home and, and it's incredible to me that the technology goes back, you know, that it that' that's really the essence of what makes it amazing goes back to a remote control, <laughs> you know, the, the same technology that made it possible to change channels from across the room without a, being tethered to a wire, uh, is what enables you to be able to, to experience a three dimensional room, uh, environment where you're, uh, able to just, you know, Oh, you want to look over there or walk over there. You don't have to hit a button. You just do it. It just happens. Um, another topic I wanted to talk about this week, and uh, and I'm so thankful for for everyone that reached out to me. And and there's still some people I need to get back to. Um, and the lessons that I've learned from from doing it is is the word ask. So I put out uh, a message. It was uh, I think it was like mid last week or or early la- like. Tuesday, Wednesday of last week, asking people if you were looking because I was actually getting ready to raise my rates uh, for my for my web design, uh, web design clients. So I was like, hey, if anybody out there that I'm friends with, I, you know, and I want to hook them up with a great site and I want to make sure uh, that I do right by them. If anybody out there is looking for a, a, a redesign on their website. Uh, a rebranding or, or something to that effect that, you know, as far as web development goes, r- you know, reach out to me. I would love to to give you, you know, to give you a break before my price goes up uh, next, well, this week at this point. And the response that I got was incredible. At first, I didn't get it. I don't think I got anything. But as a couple hours went by, and all of a sudden, before I knew it, just like two days later, I had 10 leads to people that either are interested in getting it done right now or are interested in getting it done in the very near future so asking for what you need or what you want like you know you're not going to get anything if you don't ask but if you ask the potential to get something and especially if you're doing it from a place of like i I just want to help people and and especially before I, my, my rate goes up and, and all that, like it's a great opportunity to to help people, to connect with some people that maybe that you didn't really talk to before, maybe on your Facebook friends or your Twitter uh, followers or something to that effect. Like you get that opportunity to help them out and uh, and and even get to learn something about people that you didn't even know. And maybe they'll learn something about you. There was quite a few people who didn't even realize that I do web design. So... It was uh, funny that, you know, they're, they're reaching out and they're like, hey, uh, I didn't even know that you did this, Joe. And, and now they do. Now they know that there's, there's something I do and they have put it out there that they are looking for uh, a, either a redesign or a new website altogether. And now I have more business than I know what to, you know, not know what to do with. But I have, I have a whole bunch of business that came my way just because I asked, you know, that's that's it. So my point is, is you need to go out and you just, sometimes you just need to ask and people are, we constantly, you know, I, you always see like people, um, you know, like, Oh, I'm, I'm looking, you know, looking for a job or I'm looking for, uh, something or whether, you know, even if it's like Craigslist or something like that, to that effect, not that I would want to post my, um, like my design, you know, web design stuff on, on Craigslist, but, Putting it out there is is definitely a great way to to drum up a, a bunch of business and help a bunch of people that you know and care about. So uh, definitely put it out. You know, definitely do that. Uh, ask, and you'll you'll be surprised. I, I I was called a genius by one person by just because I, I I put that out there, and I'm like I don't I don't think that was a genius move on my part. I I just think that um, I had a need and a want. <laughs> and and now I, other people had needs and wants, and we connected, and boom! Now we're we're you know we're making websites, making dreams come true. Uh, I let me see. What else do I have here in my bag of topics that I wanted to talk about? Um, I want you, I want you to be confident in your experience. I think it's really easy for us to fall into a pit of. Well, we're not good enough. There's somebody else that does it better, and and I know that I you know I've fallen into that pit many a times. What's especially especially with web design, like just to go off that what I was just talking about. When it comes to web design, like I'm not a graphics designer, right? Like I mean, I can work in Photoshop and and I can do some things, but I'm not a graphic designer. Uh, I, I'm a lay, I'm a layout designer. I can lay images out that are already created. I can edit images that are already created, but I'm not somebody that could, you know, create the image and like build it out the whole thing out in Photoshop and then cre- you know make it actually happen. So, but the but the thing is, it doesn't mean that I that the experience that I have, um, you know, say building websites, you know, it goes back to like 1996 for me. So. So I have a ton of experience, even even before doing it in WordPress now. So I you know, I, I really think that sometimes we don't give ourselves enough credit for the experience that we have that we sometimes we feel like, oh, well, there's probably somebody that knows more than me or better than me. And that might be true. But we shouldn't discount what we have inside of us and what we've what we've built because what we've built isn't necessarily what everybody else is built sometimes it's really easy for us to discount the idea that oh well that's just that's just a website and i i build those things and anybody could do that everybody everybody could do that but the, but the fact of the matter is is everybody can't do that and, and there, it, there's value in that in it's inherently there's value in that and then the time and not just the time it takes you to do something but the time in which you had to study and you had to learn and you had to solve, you know, be a problem solver, be that professional problem solver that I've talked about so many times before. It's, it's really important for us to, uh, to, you know, to be able to look ourselves in the mirror and say, hey, look at what we've done. Look at what we've accomplished. Look, at, it means something and it means something to the to people. And and I know personally, I've gotten to to the point where I'm like, oh, man, I really don't like computers. I, I, you know, I can use computers and everybody comes to me and asks me, oh, Joe, I need this problem solved or that problem solved. And, and I'm just like, oh, I don't, I don't want to fix computers because computers to me never work the way they're supposed to. So, but the thing is, is I've discounted myself in the experience in that sense that like, hey. It's not. Um, it, it's just something like, oh, it's just something that everybody should know, and it, and that's that's really not the case because we all specialize in something different. I mean, I, I try to do a lot of things. I obviously that's where part of the whole Super Joe Pardo comes from, but what you need to be, what you need to do is not um, is not let that <clears throat> get to you. You need to not let it get to you and you need to, uh, make sure that you apply value and get what, you you know, get what you're worth. And if, if, if you can't get what you're worth or what you know that you're worth, then you need to just take a thank you and, and move on and move, you know, move on with that. Uh, yeah. So I, I'd like to keep going on. I have, I have a couple other topics, but, uh, I I still need to edit this episode and get it all together and get it ready for tomorrow, you know, for, uh, for yeah, Tuesday morning at 8am. So you can listen to it at dreamerspodcast.com. Uh, one thing that I do want to mention though, is or actually two things I want to mention before before I wrap up here is that I have not done my my YouTube channel the way I've wanted to do it. I've been procrastinating on it. I've been sick and kind of busy and also playing a lot of virtual reality more more than I probably should um these past couple couple days. So, it is something that I do still plan on doing. It's something that I I'd really would like to um you know dig in and 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 get more out of it than I already have with these put it posting the pre-shows there at superjoeparter.com slash tube but uh so i I just I just want to admit that I haven't been perfect in my my quest to expand my reach into YouTube more the other thing that I want to do is mention that this weekend I'm heading to New York City to talk at uh, the United Nations on the on podcasting and the power of adding a podcast to your blog uh, because it's specifically a a WordPress uh, conference being held at the United Nations so uh, for all those who don't know the United Nations is in New York apparently a lot of people do not know that uh, it's okay because I don't think I would have known that had I not already known that. From I don't even know why I, I knew that in the first place, but yeah. So if you're going to be in the New York area, I think it's like forty bucks, and you can come hang out at the United Nations and learn a bunch of stuff about WordPress. Uh, it's all weekend long. It starts uh, Friday, but most of the you know all the talks and stuff is uh, Saturday and Sunday. I'm speaking at four o'clock on Sunday afternoon, uh second to last. They save they saved the best for last, as they say, and uh I definitely uh feel that way with with what I'm you know going to be putting on for them. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, again it's at the uh, United Nations it's which is in New York City it's 40 bucks uh, I think it's myc.wordcamp.com so go check it out if you're going to be in the New York area I'd love to to uh maybe meet up I think maybe Saturday night I might be able to hang out do something uh so yeah just uh hit me up on Facebook And yeah I think that that pretty much wraps up this this pre-show uh again no Ava no Matt just uh just me which is fine I'm More than comfortable with that. Uh, At least I had two or three more um, topics I wanted to talk about. And I guess I'll just save them for next week. Including dealing with procrastination. That uh, just seems to keep falling off the plate. So, um, yeah. So, stay tuned for After the Jump. Where uh, you'll you'll get to uh, get the interview with Victor Yako, who is a author speaker and research director who lives right in my backyard. I Victor. We gotta, we gotta get together at some point, um, for dinner or something like that. Just, just gotta, gotta make it happen. So, all right. Uh, I'm, I'm out. Joe, I have a challenge for you. What what's that, Matt? I want you to give me a way to support the dreamers podcast. That's not only easy, but it's not going to cost me any money buy stuff on Amazon really yes go to superjopardo.com forward slash amazon update your bookmark for Amazon to that link superjopardo.com forward slash forward slash Amazon every time you make a purchase I get money Joe and the time it took you to describe that I've already done it and I'm a slow typer you know what why don't you go buy some uh, Mavis typing tutor on Amazon using the superjopardocom forward slash amazon And help contribute to Dreamers Podcast. It'll be here in two days, thanks to Amazon Prime. Hey Dreamers, today I'm talking with Victor Iaco, who is making his dreams come true by staying sober and focusing on on making a difference. Thank you for coming on the show, Victor.
1: Thank you for having me today, Joe. I'm really excited to be here.
0: Yeah, I'm excited uh, for you to be here too. Uh, You live um, actually not that far from me.
1: I know. I guess if I was more motivated, I would have come over. But we've got a we've got a birthday girl this weekend. Our daughter is turning one Monday, so I'm sticking around the house and making sure that I'm available for any uh, celebration related activities.
0: Oh well, no, that's totally understandable, man. I mean, as as you know, and and uh, as by the time this episode comes out, I will have already had my first daughter. So that's I, awesome. I th- <laughs> it is, it is. And uh, so I, I can totally sympathize with with wanting to be around, uh, especially for for the birthday, uh, if you can. Uh, the yeah, birthday kids weekend.
1: bring a lot of joy, so I'm sure that you'll be experiencing all the ups and downs of that and the lack of sleep that the first year will bring.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I'm sure. Um, but I, I feel ready, man. I, I'm prepared. I, I've uh, been been practicing my whole life. So. Cool. <laughs>
1: Well, Victor, why don't we get started by giving some background about yourself? Sure. So, I'm somebody who, in the past few years, has managed to come to terms with my use and abuse of alcohol, and in doing so, it's really opened up doors that, before, they had never even been there. So, um, my, my day job is, I'm a researcher, and I work with companies um, that have digital products like websites, like smartphone applications, and I work with their users and clients to understand more about what they need for their products to be successful. Um, And I've been doing that for a while. I've always been involved in research in some way, shape, or form. My background is in psychology and communication, but I've never really felt like um, I was accomplishing all the things that I could. And basically it was because I was abusing alcohol um, for the last 15 years prior to finding sobriety. And it wasn't something that was obvious to me. It was something that really just the awareness of it creeped up on me um, as I realized that I was having some very significant negative patterns in my behavior, like traveling and getting drunk before going um, out to work with clients and finding out that you know I had drank too much to be functional the next day, that that was happening quite a bit. Um, but even before that, I, I had always been somebody who, once I started drinking, I didn't stop until there was a reason to, meaning I was sick or I was passed out. Um, so I needed to address that, I realized, and I started doing that two years ago. And ever since then, things have really taken off for me. One of the specific ways is in my writing and so ever since i was a kid i've had a book in my hand i've really i've respected authors i thought that anybody who creates words and ends up having them turn into books is just like a really special magical thing to me um and i always wanted to be that person too and i can remember in college having a professor ask us, you know, what what were some of the accomplishments we wanted to have in the future. And even then I was saying that I wanted to publish a book. I didn't really have an idea what. Um, but as somebody who was heavily drinking, that those thoughts were always very fleeting, like, oh, I should start writing something. And usually that ended up with, I should just drink and pass out, but I'll think about it while I'm drinking. And you know, I'll find motivation some other day. So the once I stopped drinking, I was able to refocus all the time and energy I was wasting on that and I actually started writing articles and so I, I really didn't know what I wanted to write about. I started writing work-related articles, writing about the application of psychology to the work that I'm doing and they were getting published pretty pretty easily. I was getting a lot of work published in different field-related publications. And so I pitched a book and it got accepted. And then the last year I've spent writing it and it's going to be coming out in April. So I really refocused and shifted everything. It wasn't easy. It wasn't just, oh, I'm going to write instead of drinking. There's a lot more to it, but I would not have ever been able to create something that was a coherent piece of work if I would have maintained my my behavior that i had before
0: well i I'm thankful that you you found uh, a way to 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 enjoy life um and that's i think that's what a lot of it comes back to is enjoying life and enjoying what is around you and uh loving loving what's there
1: i think you're exactly right i mean I was actually reflecting on that. Something similar the other day, thinking that when you're not, when your life is consumed by this desire to to drink or anything that's like a, a negative habit, you miss all the little moments because you're you're spending them waiting for that. When can I be drinking again? You know, I now know what it feels like. Even though it's not fun, I know what it feels like to be bored at work because I'm not sitting around thinking about when I can drink. I know what it feels like to have little moments versus just drawn out sessions where I'm either thinking about drinking or drinking. So it is about enjoying life. You're exactly right.
0: You know, it's it's funny because I I feel the same way about creating. (laughs) I always sit around waiting like, okay, I don't have the energy at the moment, but as soon as I get the energy, I'm going to go create this mm-hmm. thing that's in my head right now and uh, do it really, really uh, to the best of my ability, but as fast as I possibly can, which I guess in a way would be like alcohol, which is drinking as much as you possibly can to get that feeling of, of you know, whatever the feeling that you're looking for would be.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's definitely something to be said about, I know that some people can drink and get a buzz and feel good, but that that definitely was not how I did it. I did it much Exactly how you described it, just as fast as I could, let me get drunk. I didn't know what that happy middle space was that I really didn't know why people drink. I never had – there was no benefit to me except for feeling drunk and feeling sick. But um, I guess that's part of the the animal that it is when when you start to abuse a substance. And then, I mean, as far as you're mentioning, like wanting to get that that gratification piece in the end, I think there is things like creating – creating something has a similar, maybe addictive component to it in that there's that reward at the end, right? You get to put out something that has your name on it. You get that adrenaline rush of now it exists. Are you going to get some great feedback? You know, what, what can you do with that? And so I guess maybe the lesson out of that is for, for trying to enjoy the process. That's something I still need to work on myself. You know, I want to, I want to write, my articles as fast as I can so that I can get on with the next one. But there is something to be said about the one where you really put all your heart into it and and whether or not it impacts a million people or two people um, feeling good about the fact that that you really did that and tried your best to make sure it was high quality stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So could you go into uh, your book? Oh, sure. I mean, it's something where, I never thought I'd be writing about this stuff. I wanted to write about um, just like anecdotes of life and be sort of humorous and observational. But what I've found, my my niche, at least at the current point, is – so my background, I did a lot of research with people and how they learn in settings like zoos and science centers. And I got my PhD basically camping out in – zoos and science centers and asking people to take surveys, asking people if I could interview them. And the point was to try to understand how these institutions can communicate best with people. So I got it based on doing that research. I had a really deep understanding of different psychological principles and and how you would use them to try to teach people. And then fast forward about five years, I found myself working in a completely different situation. I'm not standing in front of the giraffe exhibit or the gorillas anymore. I'm actually working with people who are using, um, you know, like an online payment portal to transfer money and make payments for a bank and trying to understand how we can teach them to best do that through the design of the product. So I instantly saw the connection, which was like, it's all about understanding people. It's all about getting information on how people learn and how people think. That turns into behavior and then designing something to meet that need in a way that's very um, thoughtful and that that the user, either the zoo visitor or the website user, they don't have to think about it and process something that's very complex. They should just be able to engage and have this experience that, that helps them learn. So. All these psychology principles applied just as much with designing websites, with designing smartphone applications meant to do whatever task it is that that an application you're using is supposed to really benefit from having these um, uh, psychology principles actually built into them. And so I was able to actually start writing about that and that's what a lot of my articles are about and then yes so the book is expanding on that and I take seven principles it's the book is called um, design for the mind and that's what it's doing that's what I'm trying to it's, its focus is anybody that works with design in a digital setting for the most part that's where most of the examples I pull in come from but it can be applied you can actually apply the principles to real life in terms of your everyday interactions with people I talk about you know, what are some things that make people tick? What are some things that cause people to engage in new behaviors or change behaviors? And some of it are things that I've applied to my own life. So, for example, uh, a really specific thing that people need if they're going to change a behavior or engage in a new one is they need to understand who is in control of that behavior. And even if it's not themselves. They need to have a perception that there's a level of control involved. So for me, quitting drinking, it wasn't until I was able to embrace the fact that I have some level of control. You know, it, I can make all the excuses in the world I want. Oh, I'm craving alcohol. My it's an addiction, or all my friends are doing it and I should too. It's not until. I found a way to understand how I could control that situation that I could actually make positive steps. And, and specifically around drinking for me, that was finding support and finding people who could say, you know, I was able to stop drinking and I was able to see the light at the end of the tunnel. But let's say you're designing a website and people are supposed to um, buy something on it. If they don't understand how they're in control of making a payment, how your whole website is set up to allow them to accomplish this task, they're not going to be able to actually, um, finish the task. And so some things you can do is like show them how they're in control. And that can be as simple as maybe making, um, making it clear that where on your website they will go to accomplish the specific task. So having clear navigation, having clear terminology. Um, and so there's a lot of screenshots that I use in my book from uh, websites and digital properties that, that are doing things the way I would suggest you do them. And I have a few examples of ways that people, um, are doing things that are sort of like either misleading or just not very best practices. So um in design there's this term dark patterns and it's really means uh designs that get people to do things that they don't necessarily want to do. Um but but that you either have to or you don't understand why. And some examples of that would be like, you know, when you think you're signing up for something and giving your email address and really in the disclaimer somewhere buried it says that your information is going to be given to 700 other places and you're going to instantly start getting emails from all sorts of companies that you never thought you'd be getting, or even something is as, as a straightforward, but I guess nefarious um, as making people opt into something in order to receive the information that they need. But then you also try to push other products into them. So like if you're downloading an update for your, um, internet, uh, web explorer, and then it, it adds two other programs to your computer without your consent. Like that would be something that's considered a dark pattern. Um, and part of my, my goal is to dispel the whole persuasion and psychology means tricking people through these types of things.
0: So like, not just for web design, but in, in general.
1: Definitely. I mean, we need to think about how people communicate to us and what sort of things that we agree to do. I and mean, you hear a lot of things about um, people bait and switch type of um, schemes, um, particularly on some of our older populations. And really it's about these companies that are using tactics that make people feel like they – they want to do something um because it's going to accomplish this goal that they have and psychologically it triggers these actions and and really they're just being manipulated.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, no, definitely. Um so so what was some of the first steps you took once you decide, like once you found out that you were going to write the book because uh, obviously you pitched the book first. Did you, how many yeah. people did you have to pitch it
1: to? I think I landed it on my something embarrassing, probably fourth or fifth try. But no, I That's learned the way. That's better than most way. people.
0: <laughs> Some people never get you know ten, fifteen, well, twenty rejections, thirty rejections.
1: Well, you know, I'm I, I'm I've got a solid or a thick skin, so I'm I'm used to getting rejected. So I guess the story for me, it really did happen quickly, but it wasn't overnight, Joe. It wasn't like I just woke up and all of a sudden I started writing. It's like I spent a decade thinking about writing and wanting to write and doing it some but not doing it well because of abusing alcohol. And so I had all this pent-up, I guess, energy around writing, and I wrote a couple articles that were really well-received, and it made me think, I think I have a book in me. And so I wrote this outline, and I mean – I know you've got a couple books out, so you're familiar with, like, you probably write just as much in preparing to write a book as you do in writing the book, but um, I wrote up uh, a proposal and I I started with, you know, the publisher that I wanted to work with the most in my field, the biggest name, Um, and they actually were interested enough to put me in touch with an editor and... I was working with the editor and he pushed back on a few things and he wanted me to clarify a few things and I did. And then I didn't hear back from him. So I was like, "Well, that's probably not a good sign. And I checked in with him and it was, you know, he was much more brief with me the the next time, which was like, you know, yeah, we're going to pass. But he also gave me some insight into why they were passing. And so I used that. He told me one of the reasons was they had just recently published a similar book and, um, some of the criticism they'd received on it was that it was too academic. And so that really helped to shape my thinking in how I adjusted my proposal and my pitch to other places, which was I cut out a bunch of the academic piece and really focused on how does this apply, what is the relevancy, how does a designer or somebody working with design teams use this information to do their job. Um, And actually by the time that I found the publisher who I'm working with, I had emailed them the proposal at like six or seven in the morning and by eight or nine, I was on the phone with them um, hammering out the details of getting the deal done. Wow.
0: <laughs> well, uh, you know, uh, you know, sometimes it's funny how we get inside our own heads to think, you know, to go negative when it doesn't need to be.
1: Well, I mean, that's the case with definitely. I mean... I think it's a very human thing, but it doesn't mean that it feels that it shouldn't be. But like getting criticism or having somebody critiquing your work, I don't think it ever feels super good. It really depends on what you do with it afterwards. You know, if when I was drinking, when I felt like I was much more susceptible to just being exposed and, and, you know, as somebody who was drinking, I felt like I always came into whatever situation with this. Not disability in the sense of like I couldn't do things, but like I always felt like I was not anyone's equal. I was hiding my alcohol abuse, so that's how I started every situation and so if somebody criticized me, it just validated the fact that I felt like I wasn't an equal um, and and that just makes you you know curl up into a ball and do nothing, and that's not the point but once I was able to start experiencing just tiny wins, um, it didn't bother me if a publisher said no thank you to my book because I had 10 pitches out for articles at different places and I knew I was probably going to have eight of those rejected, but the two that get accepted or even the one that get accepted would would fill my time, would fill me with passion for doing that and to the point where I just sort of – I saturated my opportunities with so many potential good things that the, the rejections, even though they, they come fast and furious, they, it was like, you know, I would just be on to the next opportunity. And so taking the criticism and actually doing something with it, when the publishers would say no, um, for me, it felt like, okay, I'm refining something. I will get there. And, you know, in the end, I was able to do that. And it was probably, the right opportunity at the right time and everything just met up. Um, so I was, I was lucky in that regard as well.
0: So how did your, well, let's start with the, the, you know, decide, making the decision to uh, be sober. Mm-hmm. Um, how did your family take that, that decision?
1: Um, it was, it was interesting. So like my mom is a know-it-all like most moms. And so of course she had been telling me that, Probably a lot of the issues that I was experiencing in life could be made better through through sobriety. Um, So uh, she, you know, she's definitely happy. She's not not the kind of person who would ever want to throw up a roadblock around that. And I grew up in a family that was pretty dry. We, it wasn't an issue. Um, My mom, some of uh, her siblings had issues with alcohol, and I think that scared her in a sense that. There's a level of um, heredity in alcohol and drug abuse, and so I think she wanted to stay pretty far away from it. She saw what it had done to some of her family members, and my dad just wasn't interested. I couldn't say why, but there was never like wine, beer, or vodka in our house. Um, so that that family, you know, they didn't have any issue with it. The real issue was that I had spent my life with, with my, at the time, fiance, who's now my wife, um, you know, focusing on making sure that we were drinking as much as we could, at least I was drinking as much as I could. She would drink, um, but she was in nowhere near the the level of drinking and and the poor behavior that I demonstrated as somebody who was drunk. That was not her. So, but there was a lot of fear there for me. Like, I'm changing my life with this woman that I live with. And we both drink a lot and socially it's what we do what am I going to do is she just going to leave me um, is she just going to go to the bar on weekends but I'll be stuck at home because I can't handle that situation which I later found out wasn't true I'm actually perfectly fine in just about any situation but um, she actually as you might imagine once I talked to her about these issues was very supportive as well and it was something where there were situations where I'd say, I'd really like you to not drink, and I understand that that's asking you to do something. You're you're an adult. You're a responsible adult, and I'm asking you to sort of respect what I've got going on with my issues, but it's to get us to a better place, and and she did that, and she's been very supportive. I had initially gone to AA meetings. I, I don't anymore, but it's not because I had any kind of falling out. I just, in terms of focused and spending my time. I've been doing other things, but I had asked her to attend an AA meeting with me just so she could hear it and what was going on and, and understand some of the struggles that we had been going through are common, um, at least in the world of alcohol abuse, and that we we weren't this like unknown, horrible thing that was going on um, with my struggle with abuse. And so she did that. So she's been nothing but supportive. And then we wound up um, having a baby, and uh, if anything, that reaffirmed my life choice, which you know, I don't think I would be in a position to raise a child th- with the behavior that I had been having before, um, with battling uh, an addiction, with spending so much money on alcohol. And so really, my family has been helpful and reinforced everything. And I've become very vocal about my sobriety uh, as an effort to sort of pay it forward and nobody has has done anything but been supportive around that as well.
0: Oh, that's awesome. And I'm I'm so glad that you're able to be in any situation and you're not limited to uh, the situations that you can be in because of that. So I'm glad that it doesn't continue to handcuff you even after you've let it go. Um, Not to frozen pun but you know what i mean like <laughs> yeah no
1: i i mean so i think i know what you mean what you're saying you know like i don't mind going to a bar with people and hanging out and having seltzer water is that what you're
0: right you right know? right well i yeah. mean because because it could like you know it could still be handcuffing you in the sense where it's like okay well now i can't go to a bar uh even though it's for work or even though it's for friends or, or a birthday or whatever exactly um you know so I, I mean me personally i don't drink at all i've never uh, drank drank, um, got drunk <laughs> or any drunk, of that drink. Stuff. Yeah. Any of that stuff. So for me, like, you know, going to a bar and I mean, I hate bars to begin with, but going to a bar and, and ordering soda is not, it's yeah. not a problem for me because
1: I just don't care. That's um, awesome. Joe, that's really cool because I mean, I think that. As somebody who was a heavy drinker, your your friends and your colleagues, they sort of scratch their head when you start ordering the seltzer water. But if you've like set that as being who you are and you're so comfortable with that, that's like – that's really where – that's how everyone should be, first of all. But when you set this precedent of being a drinker, I think it might be – and I'm not saying everybody is as bad as me because they certainly aren't. But one of those misery loves company kind of things where – people who are drinking are like, well, what's wrong with Victor? Not just like Victor's choosing not to drink, but what's wrong with him? Um, what's wrong with that person not drinking? And so for you to just like already have that be the, the norm, that's, that's cool. And you probably then don't experience the same level of like any kind of uh, hesitation when you're in a setting where, you know, other people are going to be drinking.
0: No, I, I don't. Um, it, you know, I, of course, I've gotten some people that want to, you know, pay, poke fun at it uh, for different reasons. But, you know, and it's not because I've ever had a problem with it. And it's funny because I, I never really thought about that until uh, we were out to dinner with somebody and somebody was like, oh, you know, the last three guys I dated before I met my husband, um, they didn't drink either. And it was because they had a drinking problem. And I was like, whoa, OK, no, that's not why I don't drink. Right? <laughs> it yeah, <was> like, so- <laughs> I just started yeah <laughs> that way <laughs> he's back
1: been... on you you know joe he's recovering yeah all the time <laughs> oh, i'm recovering from i've always been sober i've never <laughs> had a problem That's that's interesting hashtag um,
0: before it was cool <laughs> yeah there you go
1: <laughs> but what i was also going to say about that is um i find myself and part of what i've written about for some of the publications that i have out there is that the field I work in, which is design and technology, really does heavily promote alcohol use. And it's almost, it, it, not almost, it is the culture where, you know, we think about, oh, Google is so hip and cool. And that's not where I work. But um, part of that, like, hipness is they can just walk around the office with an open beer or they have an office keg. And that really is a, almost across the board what the what the actual the stereotype plays itself out Um, and so trying to be sober in a setting like that can be challenging and I realized really after my sobriety that probably there's a lot of other people out there who are either struggling because they want to be sober or maybe making poor decisions that they wouldn't because they have an opportunity to go and there's no there's nothing Wrong with having a beer and starting in at drinking at your desk at two in the afternoon, and that if that's me, that doesn't mean you're just going to have that beer. It means you're going to try to get in five before the end of the day, so you can get a head start on your drinking for the night. And so, I'm I've been giving um, some speak some speaking events and then uh, writing articles about that, and I'm, I'm excited that it's been well received. I have a I'm speaking at a conference in. Minneapolis, um, in April. And then I'm actually speaking at Drexel university in Philadelphia, um, in April as well. Uh, and what's cool is that like, that the time period for those two events is like exactly on the anniversary of my two years of sobriety. And I don't count the days or count the months so much anymore, but it feels like years are a pretty cool milestone to reach, especially when you can look back and say, damn, in two years, I have done all this stuff. I basically have lapped what I've done in the 34 years prior to that, just by becoming sober and getting focused on making my life uh, what it can be instead of just getting drunk and saying, well, you know, I can try that tomorrow. Well, that's
0: awesome, man. <laughs> I love it. Um, how, how does your family take you wanting to write a book?
1: Uh, that, <laughs> well, again, so I mean, my my wife is is the closest family I have. We're sort of dispersed throughout the East Coast, um, so she was the one who was the biggest affected by it. And when I got the book deal, she was in her um, nine ninth month of pregnancy, <laughs> so. Um, she she reminded me that I had a lot of other responsibilities, and that I couldn't just be writing a book all the time. But you know, there were there were some times where you, I, I'm I'm sure you're familiar with it. I know you've got you have two books, or do you have more than that?
0: Uh two. But actually, I just I earlier this morning I just laid the plan to
1: write three more books this year. Oh my gosh! So <laughs> all right. So you know though that you have to make sacrifices. You. You don't have all the time in the world unless you have like 10 ghost writers, um, which seems pointless when you're at the level I'm at. I'm not going to make a ton of money off of any book I write. But the the sacrifice is do you stay up late? Do you wake up really early? Do you try to write in between um, uh, work and your wife getting home? And and sometimes you just – have to write when it should be family time because you have deadlines and because writing and rewriting and addressing edits is a big thing. So it was sometimes stressful when there's a newborn baby in the house and my wife is obviously expecting and deserves assistance with making sure that the baby's being cared for, but then she also deserves time to have for herself. So I tried to front load it though and, um, I I spent like the first month and a half just like writing like I was on fire. Uh, The interesting thing was then mid-flow I ended up getting a new editor and and she was like, we need to change a lot of this. So all my trying to get it done up front was sort of for nothing. But um, again, from a a support perspective though, it it hasn't been like um, my wife is against me writing the book. We've gotten to see a lot of benefit from it. I think that – um financially and opportunity wise it's opened up a lot of doors for me even with the book not being completely released yet that i'm speaking at eight conferences so far this year um i'm on i, I think it i think it helps opening the door to speak on podcasts like yours joe um and i think that anything i can do at this point of course i want to sell my book and i want people to buy it and the book itself is about psychology and design i'd love And I think that my next book will be more about designing sobriety or designing the life that you want. And so I'm hoping that the book does well enough to justify me spending time on doing something like that. But anything I can do to get my message out there, whether it sells books or whether it just makes people aware of the opportunities that they have and that maybe they're squandering because of an addiction issue or because of the thousands of other things that we do that distracts us from our creative endeavors. Um, If I can just get my message to make some people realize that that they could be making some different choices and and help them with that, then I'm just the writing the book and the opportunities that have come with it have, have made it all worth it.
0: Uh, well yeah, no, I'm looking looking forward to it. And yes, there are sacrifices that need to be made when I'm writing books and uh I mean fortunately I wrote my first two books before we we uh had our first child, so that there's that. Um so I'll see how it goes. But um two of the three books that I wanna write this year are kind of already written. I just <laughs> need to um I just need to like collect them together and, and and put it like put it together. So I don't I don't uh, expect it to take too much time uh, for gotcha. two of the three books. The the one book I'll probably be trying to squeeze in by the end of the year, uh, yeah. but, you know, just under the wire, maybe early the uh, twenty seventeen. But even still, like I'm I'm really
1: looking forward to to doing it. Um, That's super, <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> Victor. What's been your biggest roadblock?
1: myself probably and self-doubt things that are opportunities. And I think that either I don't deserve them or I can't, can't handle them. Um, and so overcoming that overcoming just like with being somebody who, like I said, I often felt like I entered situations with one hand tied behind my back because I was hiding this, um, abuse issue that, you know, I still have to overcome this uncertainty that I have when I enter new situations or when I think there's an opportunity that I'd like to pursue. And I have to talk myself up to doing it versus somebody who comes in is like a hundred percent, like I'm going to do this and there's nothing stopping me. I have to get to that point. I can, and I usually do get to that point, but it's like, very much building yourself up to it, um, and so sometimes I'm sure that there are opportunities I either choose to pass or choose to not look at as as hard as I normally might um based on just having this sort of self doubt that I need to overcome
0: yeah self doubt is is definitely um you know limiting for a lot of people so you know, I and it is it is a somewhat common answer that I get on this <laughs> on this show. Yeah. But, you know, it it's the truth that a lot of times we we put our own walls up and we we believe that um that we know what other people want or what other people are thinking uh without actually testing or trying or asking. So, you know, eh, you know, we got to we have to be able to put that aside so we can move forward with ourselves.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that That's the other reason, though, too, what you just mentioned is like why self-doubt shouldn't be such a big thing is that I've found almost across the board when I do put myself out there, it feels good. And people rise to support you. People want you to succeed. So when you start to identify goals or when you look at an opportunity and you say, hey, I want to be a part of this, like once you do that – there's this shift in how you because they understand what you want and what you're trying to achieve and i wrote a piece that was actually published this week on conscious magazines website and it's just a really quick 500 word piece on like what it was like for me and what some of my suggestions are to people who are looking for support and and one of the things i say in it is that Asking for support opens up the floodgates of relief, and I think that you can transfer that to any situation where you say doing putting yourself out there opens up the opportunity and and so whether it's needing support and asking for it. Whether it's you want to be part of an opportunity that exists and saying so out loud, whether it's attending a meeting of professionals that you want to be a part of and you want to get into and maybe be an officer for that club or whatever – but actually showing up to the meeting versus staying at home and thinking, well, I'm not good enough or versus staying quiet when they put out a call for who wants to help organize events and you just think, well, I don't have any experience there. Once you actually raise your hand and say, I want to try this, you will find all this support in the form of people and also in the form of resources. I mean, we have the opportunity. If you don't think you're, you can do something Google it and you'll find 10,000 how-to guides. It's not that hard if you actually put yourself out there and you want to accomplish something. The resources are usually there.
0: No, oh, I agree. Every every dream in, in this day and age starts with a Google search. So, yeah, exactly. So uh, I constantly am preaching that people take that first step because it's a small step and it's a step that we could do right from our phones, right from the couch, right from wherever we have internet. So uh-huh. it, it's a step that pe- needs to be taken if we have something that we want to accomplish. Because at least then we can validate very quickly. Maybe it already exists, uh-huh. and you could buy it for nine ninety nine. <laughs> you know, it's like it, it doesn't have to be. Um, It doesn't have to be hard and like, oh, I got to know a guy or or somebody, you know, something like that. Um, Victor, what was your childhood dream growing up?
1: So interestingly enough, it was to be a writer. Um, Definitely not writing what I thought I would be, but I was really surrounded by books growing up. I uh, I respected authors like Stephen King. I respected people who were very prolific in their writing. I respected journalists. And so I thought, you know, I'd like to be a journalist. I'd like to be somebody who publishes books. And and so that's been really um, something that has stuck with me just about, I mean, since I have memories, since as far back as I can remember, I can remember reading and I can remember thinking that there must be some magic that creates books, that that gives people the ability to create books. So I, I've been able to actually, now that you mention it, that's that sort of hasn't gone anywhere, and and I've been able to achieve that. Um,
0: yeah, I mean, it's funny how things come around full circle, and and sometimes we don't even realize in what ways we are making those dreams come true, but they but they are. You just don't necessarily get to realize that until after you know after we've already done it. So, uh, you know, I applaud you on, on, uh, not only finding it, but, but, um, and pursuing it, but now you working towards accomplishing it. That's, uh, that's really awesome, man. So Victor, what do your dreams for the future look like?
1: Well, I think that first of all, maintaining sobriety is something that is at the top of my list. I will, that, that's really the key to me having any kind of a life. And most certainly it's the key to me achieving any of my dreams. Um, I want... To write a few more books, that's certainly something that I expect to do now at this point. That I've I've done one, and I feel like I have enough drive in me to to do a few more. But ultimately, I want to be able to speak and have it be the focus of my work, um, talking about sobriety and talking about the need for us to not only, not really accommodate as much as understand and then address the fact that people enter situations with certain struggles and, um, we need to focus on making our culture and our workplaces, um, more accommodating for those people, more inclusive for those people. And so in that regard, I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm starting to chip away at that, but I'd like, I'd really like to make it. A greater part of my life, I think I would call it a dream for the future to to make that like my full time work, um, speaking and writing about that.
0: Well, I, I I'd agree, and I, I think that you have enough passion and drive for the topic that you could definitely make that work. I mean, that's that's part of what I'm working on. It's part of the, one of the reasons I have a podcast to connect with people and share mm-hmm. stories and um, make make all those happen. So. I you know, I, I think but through writing is uh is really powerful and I, I know that over the years I've done a lot of writing and, and uh I'm actually working on getting more and more into the writing outside of just <laughs> producing books. So uh yeah. I, I, I think that writing is super powerful if you're trying to get into it's funny how writing words equates to getting booked for speaking engagements.
1: Yeah, and I mean I think I guess it's sort of that becoming an expert or becoming a trusted source. Um and that's something that is sort of a, a weird title to wear. But, you know, I, I know that in certain very niche fields like the application of psychology to design, I'm considered an expert. And so getting opportunities to speak, it's all grounded in all the writing that I've done. But, you know, that, that – I think that even if you're speaking about something you've written a lot on, there's value when people see you and, and if you're good at putting on um, – a a show that entertains people or that motivates people that there's still like so much value and and that not everybody is affected by the written word the same way they are a powerful speech or a a great presentation. And so to me, it it sort of makes you well-rounded when you can do all that and it really helps to get your message spread. Um, And we have so many resources to do that through all the different um, mediums that we communicate through people, whether it's, Posting videos online, or having um, presentations at, at local universities, or speaking at conferences, or coming onto your show—that that's just the kind of thing I'd like to do more and more.
0: <clears throat> right, and and obviously, I, I think you're you're going to be continuing that. So uh, let's. I'm glad that you you decided to come on the show so we can talk about it and, and uh, give it as an example for other people to uh, to awesome. use as a as a blueprint. Um, Before we wrap up and let people know how they can connect with you, Victor, is there any last thoughts you'd like to share?
1: I just would go back to something I mentioned earlier in terms of if you feel like whether it's an addiction to alcohol or whether it's just coming home and being exhausted and not doing it, if you have some creative endeavor and it can be reading, writing, whatever it is that you feel like Um, artistically you want to do to express yourself and and put yourself out there, and and you find that you're being distracted from it, I, I just encourage you to take a look at how you might be able to make small changes. For me, I had to make a big change. I had to stop drinking because it was ruining my life. It wasn't just preventing me from writing a book. It was ruining my life. And you might not be in the same position. You might just find yourself really wishing that you were starting projects that you've never gotten around to. And maybe it's because you feel like you work so hard and you come home and you, know, you just want to have a beer and, and watch Friends reruns or whatever, but you will feel so validated and rewarded once you start working towards your goal and your dream. And the other piece to that is it doesn't happen overnight. So if your goal is to paint a picture or to write a book or to build a castle out of Legos, you have to put down the foundation. A book starts as a couple hundred words. Um, A painting starts as an outline or brush strokes. It, It doesn't happen overnight, but once you put together a whole bunch of nights in a row, it starts to look like something, and that becomes very validating, and that makes you want to do more. You know, you have chapter one done, and you've outlined that you're going to do 12 chapters. Look, you're one twelfth of the way there. That's something, and that's a hell of a lot more than nothing, and so making sure that you're adding to that in some way every day, you will see progress very quickly. That's what I would say. Definitely.
0: Uh, Victor, could you let people know how they can connect with you?
1: Sure. So... I tweet and you can follow me at Victor Yacco it's V I C T O R Y O C C O and that also happens to be my email address which is victor yacco with no space or anything V I C T O R Y O C C O at gmail.com and then you can also I've got a website where I've thrown up a lot of the articles that I've written and other ways that you can get in touch with me, and that's also just victoryaco.com, V-I-C-T-O-R-Y-O-C-C-O.com, and you can find out a lot more about Design for the Mind, which is my upcoming book. Joe, if you don't mind, I'll pass along a discount code that you could post on the show notes um, so that if any listeners are interested in purchasing the book, they don't have to pay full price.
0: And yeah of course I, of course I will
1: you can also connect with me on LinkedIn or anything else but i and I'm not like the world's most active tweeter, but I do enjoy the platform so that's probably the best place to start and if you send me an email, I will definitely email you back uh, I, I appreciate it when people take time when i've written articles about alcohol abuse i've I've gotten you know quite a few responses and I always think that it's it's nice people feel that they have somebody they can connect to and i know for me having somebody actually follow up is really important it says that they respect you as a person and understand where you're coming from so i would definitely reply if you send me a personal note
0: awesome yeah i'll have all those in the show notes cool um, well, Victor, I really appreciate you coming on the show today, and I'd love to have you come on the show some uh, sometime in the future, like in a year or so, to uh, follow up and see how you've been.
1: I would love that too, Joe, and I would love to see how you're at in a year, because I know that you have some awesome, really cool, wonderful things in front of you, and you're just like days away, and I'm so excited for you. It's, it's a great place to be.
0: <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely excited. Uh, to see what happens so uh, thank you <laughs> it's again it's gonna be a baby <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's what's is.
1: gonna
0: happen <laughs> <laughs> oh man well thank you again victor for taking the time i really appreciate it absolutely my pleasure Jeff. thank you for joining us for this episode of the dreamers podcast follow us on twitter at dreamers podcast join us on facebook at facebook.com slash dreamers podcast if you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the Dreamers Podcast, please send an email to J at jpar.co. This podcast is copyright 2014 by jpar.co.